And now, friends, would you please stand as you're able and hear the reading of God's word this morning, the scripture lesson from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. Jesus said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made its nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west, from north and from south, and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So this morning, we're continuing our journey with Jesus toward Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 9, the secret of Jesus' identity is out in the open. His disciples said that Jesus is the Christ, the, the Messiah, God's promised Savior King. And with that identity in hand, Jesus makes his way from Galilee in the north to, to Jerusalem in the south. And as he makes this journey southward, you would expect that on the heels of that kind of declaration that Jesus is God's promised Savior King, that Jesus would work his way down to Jerusalem and the momentum would continue to to, to get bigger and bigger, that he would be amassing followers, that people would be ready to see Jesus come in and storm the city and and overthrow the Romans, expel the oppressive powers and establish the kingdom of, of heaven on earth. But as Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem, Luke records something different. Jesus is not, uh, a general amassing an army. He's a teacher who is curiously, uh, trying to chase away his followers with this teaching. As he goes, he, he gives people teachings and, and parables and stories that are problematic, that, that, are, that are hard sayings, that Jesus is painting the picture of discipleship and what the cost it is to follow Jesus in the world. And Jesus is saying the cost is incredibly high. Uh, the, the, if you really want to follow after me, it's going to involve, uh, it's going to involve rejection that as Jesus works his way down to Jerusalem in the south, Jesus is experiencing rejection uh, and opposition himself, and he's saying that if you're going to be my follower, you're going to experience the same kind of difficulty and hardship. On the road to, and on this road trip to Jerusalem, Jesus is pointing out all of the roadblocks. So he's, not a, he, he, he's a good enough teacher where he's not trying to do a bait and switch. He's, he's up front about what the barriers are to following him. And on the way, he's pointing them all out to his disciples. And as we navigate this church year that we're in, the season of Lent, this is a great opportunity for us to, to see these roadblocks afresh, to see 
what are the barriers that keep us from following Jesus? What are the obstacles, the stumbling points that, that we trip over that keep us from experiencing the fullness of life and the joy that Jesus has promised, uh, that Jesus promises his followers would experience? Uh, this, the key that Jesus said uh, in, in Luke chapter 9 is that the key to greatness is becoming small, that the, that the path to strength is through weakness, that the road, uh, that the way up is actually the way down, that the way to, to glory is through suffering, that you, that you get a crown by carrying a cross. It's like what the British author G.K. Chesterton has said, that Christianity hasn't been, try, hasn't been uh, tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. See, last week, Jesus said that if you're going to follow him, one of the deaths that you're going to have to die uh, one of the obstacles that you're going to have to overcome is, is how you draw the circles around who it is that you show love and mercy to. Because Jesus says that all of our circles, when it comes to who we love and who we show mercy toward, are too small. That, uh, that we need to show concern to the people, not, not just to the people that we like or the people that we think that if we love and, uh, and serve, they'll return the favor and open doors for us and expand our network. Jesus is saying that you need to draw your circle of, of love and mercy and concern uh, around the hard people, around the inconvenient people, around the people that have nothing to offer, uh, around the people that, uh, that when you love them, people on the outside is going to say, that's a waste of time. It's a waste of resources. It's a waste of attention and concern. Jesus says that we're to show a love that transcends the prejudices of ethnicity, class, education, religious background, political affiliation, life, choi- life choices. And, and if we're honest, that is a high bar. It, it, it's it's a really costly way to live, even and not just in Jesus's day, but, but think about our own day when, when we're living in such a, a culture of polarization and outrage where any, uh, where any extension over to the other side means that, that we're in danger of being thrown out of our own camp, whether that's political uh, or, or, or social or otherwise. It was a roadblock to them then, and it continues to be a roadblock for us today. And in the passage that we just read in Luke 13, we come across another roadblock, another barrier that stands in the way of following Jesus. And it's in many ways similar to the question of circle drawing. Um, for, for our sakes, we can call this roadblock the roadblock of exclusivity, of, of who's in and who's out. Uh, or to frame it as verse 23 puts it, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Will those who are saved be few? This was a live debate in Jesus' day, and it continues to be a live debate in our day, but for different reasons. In Jesus' day, this idea of who is in the kingdom of God uh, was uh, a very academic debate among the rabbis of Jesus' day. And if you were to ask them, uh, will those who are saved be few? They would say, yes. They, they drew a very narrow circle around who it is who, made, who makes it to eternal life. And it's almost always connected to the Jewish ethnicity, the Jewish people, uh, national heritage. But, on, uh, but in the 21st century, if you were to ask modern Western people uh, that question, instead of drawing a narrow circle like the religious uh, establishment of the first century, I think modern Western people would be reluctant to draw any kind of circle at all. Uh, because we live in a pluralistic society with so many different religious backgrounds and beliefs and, and ways of, of looking at and viewing and, and navigating through the world, we would be reluctant to say that, that anybody's excluded from, from eternal life, that if you're just a decent person and you're good to other people, you don't hurt anybody, uh, then, then, then it'll work out well for you. 
you know, that this, that there does come a point there where we do small, where we do draw a small circle around the people who were like really bad, you know, insert uh, Hitler and genocidal dictators in, in there. Uh, but modern people will be very reluctant to draw a circle at all. And so as we, as Jesus is posed with this question, uh, where would we plot Jesus on this continuum? Would he be with the religious te- teachers drawing a very small circle? Would he be with modern Western people and, and be hesitant to draw a circle at all? Jesus, are those who will be saved be few? But before Jesus engages the question, and before we dig into the question ourselves, uh, I want us to notice first what Jesus does here. See, Jesus' main concern in this conversation isn't with the question itself. Jesus' main concern is with the questioner. Jesus is more concerned about the person in front of him asking the question than he is about the academic debate. And, and when Jesus frames his response to the, to the questioner, he does so where, where the force of the question doesn't so much become invested in the, in the question as much as uh, the question in the abstract, as much as it does in the concrete reality of the person standing in front of him. In, in other words, Jesus is saying, before you ask, will only a few be saved? Jesus says, you need to first answer to know the answer to, will I be saved? So before you ask and answer this question for other people, you need to know the answer personally. You need to know the answer for yourself. And so the question that, uh, that Jesus is wanting the questioner to deal with, and I think by extension, the readers of this gospel today, us, the question that Jesus wants us to deal with is that question of, will I be saved? Will, will I inherit eternal life? So I want us to hold that question in the back of our mind as we work our way through this passage together. And so as we look at Jesus' answer to this question, whether he draws a small circle, whether he draws any circle, the, the answer that Jesus gives to the, to the question, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Jesus says no, but he doesn't just say no. He says no, but not just no. And because Jesus is the Christ, God's promised Savior King, he gives his response by, by talking about it in terms of his kingdom, uh, about uh, what it is and what it's like. And in describing his kingdom, Jesus tells two things about it. He tells us two things about his kingdom. He tells us how his kingdom grows, and he tells us who goes, um, who, who, who enters into this kingdom. And so those are our two headings this morning, the kingdom, how it grows, and who goes. So let's unpack first the kingdom, how it grows. So before Jesus is asked this question about who goes into the kingdom, he gives a, a couple of stories, a couple of parables about what his kingdom is like. And we see this in verses 18 to 21, that Jesus gives us two word pictures, two images to describe his kingdom, this image of a mustard seed and some leaven, some yeast. And these two stories teach us a couple of things about Jesus's kingdom and how it grows. The first thing that this, that these two stories teach us about how the kingdom grows is that the kingdom grows incrementally. It grows gradually. It's small and it's even hidden at times. You see, Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven is not prime eligible. It's not going to show up overnight or even in two days. The growth of the kingdom, it, 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 takes, it takes its time. Uh, and not only is, is the kingdom uh, incremental, it's even hidden at times. Jesus, in, in giving us a word picture, says that, you know, a seed doesn't become a tree until, it, until the seed is hidden into the ground. Uh, flour doesn't rise until the yeast is hidden and worked into the bread. Jesus is saying that the kingdom is an instant, it's incremental. Its growth is even hidden and imperceptible at times. And second, Jesus says that while the growth of the kingdom is incremental, the growth of the kingdom 
is also inevitable. It's incremental, but it's inevitable. Jesus says that his kingdom will grow. The, the dough and the flour will be leavened. The seed will become a tree in which the birds of the air make their nest. And if you read Luke's second volume, the book of Acts, you see that this is exactly the case. The kingdom of God starts small with just 120 people. But as you read throughout the book of Acts, you see how it grows incrementally, incrementally and inevitably, growing out of Jerusalem into the surrounding regions of Judea and Samaria, and then expanding even into the corners of the earth, the ends of the earth. The fact that we're sitting here in Madison, Wisconsin in 2024 is a testimony to the fact that the kingdom grows incrementally and inevitably. And Jesus says that despite all the opposition and the persecution that the church is going to experience in the first century, and despite all of the, uh, the, the, the indifference and the hypocrisy that, that the church is characterized by in the 21st century, Jesus says his kingdom is going to grow and it's going to fill the earth. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says that he will build his church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. The kingdom is coming, Jesus says. It's going to continue to grow, and nothing is going to stand in its way. So these two truths about how the kingdom grows, that it grows incrementally and inevitably, are important. They're important for us to keep in perspective as we live uh, the Christian life. And this is important truths for both Christians and non-Christians. So if you're here this morning and you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, how do these two truths make, make a dent in your, in your life today? What I would suggest is that um, maybe if you're here this morning and you're frustrated with where you are in life, maybe things haven't been coming together uh, in the way that you hoped. Maybe you're experiencing some ongoing sin and temptation that you just haven't seen the progress that you hoped you would see in this point of your life. Maybe you're growing restless and hopeless and, and losing uh, all hope that things in your life can really change and improve. Do you see how these two stories about the kingdom can help recalibrate your expectations? Jesus says that, that the growth of the kingdom is inevitable, but it's not instant. And, and maybe could, could, could the source of, our, of your spiritual disillusionment be that because we live in a world where everything else is instant, we're, we're frustrated with God that our, that our personal growth, our spiritual growth, isn't like that also? That, that we need to see that, that the growth of the kingdom, uh, we, we are not who we will be, but, but, we are, but that doesn't happen in the moment, that our God is not just the God of the ends, the results, uh, where we want to be, that God is also the God of the means as well. God is the God of, of how we get there also. God doesn't care just about results. He cares about the process as well. And, 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 our, and our insistence on short-term or on immediate results, short circuits uh, in, in, in many of us, the things that God wants to teach us about himself and about his grace. Um, while we want God something, while we want God to do something in our lives, oftentimes God wants to do something else in us first uh, before before we do that thing that He that we want Him to do. Um, I was really helped by this when I was reading uh, C.S. Lewis's book *Mere Christianity*. He has this chapter on sexuality where he empathizes with people who desperately want to experience progress and victory uh, in that area of their life when it comes to sexual purity, but they're not experiencing a ton of success either when they first start out or, or when they've been following Jesus for a long time and aren't where they hope or want to be, uh, whether that's resisting temptation to pornography or persevering uh, in celibacy or remaining faithful in marriage. Uh, Lewis says that uh, 
that, that although that is a priority for God, God wants us to experience those kinds of things. Uh, God wants to work something else in us first. He wants to work in his people a posture of dependence and, and a lifestyle of repentance that, 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 that would serve on a foundation that when we finally do persist uh, in, in walking in, in, in sexual purity in our lives, uh, that we have the foundation that can sustain that kind uh, of obedience and lifestyle. Uh, that God wants his people to first know uh, that, that, that God has power that's sufficient for their weakness and that when you fail, that God is a God who forgives again and again and again. That in our deepest need, at our, at our lowest moments, that we serve a God who is full of grace and who's there to pick us up when we stumble. And we don't come to appreciate those things unless we have the process. That, that, we want the, that we want the ends and the results, but our God is the God of the process and how we get to those things as well. That we come to appreciate God's power and wisdom more when our false expectations of God, of, of personal growth, uh, are busted up uh, by God, uh, working himself into our lives through the process of growing in grace. And so I, I hope that's helpful as you follow Jesus and, and maybe you're disappointed and not where you, where you hoped you would be in terms of your relationship with God or, or your position in life, that God is God, not just of the results, but of the process as well. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, remember that, that question I told us to hold in, in the back of our heads as we started, that question of, will I be saved? Well, he, well, here's how these two stories matter to you. Because Jesus says that the growth of his kingdom is incremental, what that means is that when you look at the church right now in the 21st century, a church that uh, that, that at times can be combative, uh, uh, insular, um, hypocritical. Jesus says that the, the church that you see right now is not what the church will ultimately become. That the, the church you see right now is what, not what the church will be. And so reserve judgment on, on, on the church. And while you're rightly outraged at, at, at the times when the church behaves badly, and I'm right there with you, do not judge the, jur- the church by what you see now, by what Jesus says the church will be. Jesus says that he will build his church, but Jesus also said that he's going to, to purify and cleanse his church as well. And just in, in the same way that you wouldn't judge me by the way I would play a, a piece of classical music, uh, don't judge uh, the, the beauty and, and the teachings and the life of Jesus by, by the ways that his followers, uh, well-intended or even with malintent, fail to live up and, and represent Jesus in the world. Consider Jesus uh, himself and what his church will be um, rather than, than what you might see in this present moment. But also because Jesus says that his kingdom is inevitable, that at the end of the day, his church is going to be the last thing standing, like shouldn't that make you consider that if Jesus says that this is going to be the only thing that remains at the end of the day, that heaven and earth are going to pass away, but his kingdom will endure, shouldn't, shouldn't you want to investigate that a little bit more and see what this kingdom is all about, see what Jesus' claims are really getting at? Uh, the church is, is flawed. It, it's far from what it will be. But there is something in the church right now that is going to endure into eternity. And so don't you want to see for yourself what that is? So I'd encourage you to to keep coming along and and interacting with Jesus as he works his way south to Jerusalem. But if that's how the kingdom grows, then let's get to the the heart of the question in verses 22 to 30. Who goes? Uh, Lord Jesus, in, in, in the kingdom of God, will those who are saved be few? Again, Jesus gives us his answer. He says no, but just, but not just no. Jesus says that many will be saved, many will be saved, but not the ones that you might expect. Not the ones that you think, uh, you, not the ones that you think would be there. 
in the first part of the passage, Jesus in verses 21 to, or 18 to, to 21, Jesus gives us two things about how the kingdom grows. And then in this section in 22 to 30, Jesus gives us two things about uh, who goes into this kingdom. And, and, and that is that this kingdom that Jesus brings is both exclusive and it's inclusive. It's exclusive and it's inclusive. And it's inclusive. Jesus says that his kingdom is, is, is exclusive and it excludes in several ways. The first way that Jesus says that the way into his kingdom, the way to eternal life is, is through a narrow door, right? The way isn't broad, it's narrow. So uh, it's, there, there, there's, a, there's a choke point. There, there, is a, um, there, there, is a, there is a small way into this kingdom. And so it's not broad that, that people can just find their way into it. The way, the way into eternal life comes through a narrow door, Jesus says. It's not available to everybody. It's, it's this narrow opening. But secondly, though, Jesus says that entering through that door uh, must involve a conscious effort. You're not going to drift or find your way or, 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 or just mosey on through this door uh, into eternal life. Jesus says, strive to enter through that narrow door. And that, and that, and that word strive in our, in our English Bibles comes from the Greek word from which we, we actually get the English word to agonize. It's the word that, that's characteristic of athletes in the arena or soldiers in combat. Jesus is saying uh, the door is narrow, so strive, uh, wrestle with, agonize over getting through that door, working your way into, the, in, working your way into eternal life because it's not something that you're, that you're going to drift into. It needs to be a conscious effort to, work, to, to get into the kingdom of God, to, to get into the eternal life of that kingdom. So not only is the door narrow, it involves a conscious effort. Jesus says that, that there is uh, only a short window of opportunity. The door is open, but it won't always remain open. The, the door is open now, but it's shutting. And when it's shut, it's going to be locked and bolted and unyielding later. And so Jesus uh, teaches with, with a bit of urgency here. He says, the door is open now, and so don't expect that it'll be open later. If the door is open now, then strive. Do whatever it, you possibly can to get into the door now because there's no promise of getting in later. There's no amount of boasting or bragging or barter, bartering or bulldozing that's going to work when the door is shut. So Jesus says when the, door is, when the door is open, do what you can now to get in or else you'll be excluded forever later. You're either going to be feasting with Jesus at his table and with, and with the, the, the patriarchs, the, the, the saints of old, or you're going to be on the outside looking in Weeping and gnashing your teeth, Jesus says, forever. And if we're honest, this is the, this is the image of Jesus that's unpopular in our, in our culture. We, we like to picture Jesus as, as someone who has open arms, who welcomes everybody, who makes no demands on our lives and just says, come and, and don't make any changes, but just, just come and, and I'll embrace you in my arms. And Jesus, in his own words, says otherwise. He, he says that the way into his kingdom is narrow, uh, that, that, the, that the way into his kingdom is through struggle, uh, that, that the window of opportunity into his kingdom is now and we're not promised later. And so uh, Jesus says that, uh, that, that the message uh, that the kingdom is available to you now and it's urgent and you need to respond to it in this moment or else you're not, uh, not going to have the opportunity later. And Jesus says that the, most, that the people who are in most danger of missing out on this kingdom that the people who are, who are most at risk of being shut out are the people who actually think that they're in, uh, are the people who actually think that, that, that they're inside the kingdom already. You see this in our story, that the door is shut, and they come to Jesus, and, and, and they come to the master of the house and ask to be let in, and he says the door is shut. And then they say, but master, we, we, 
ate at your table. We heard you teach in our streets. Like we, we were close to you physically. We, we had exposure to you theologically. And, and, and Jesus says, those aren't the things that matter. It, it doesn't matter if you were physically close to me and sat at my table. It doesn't matter if you came to, to church and heard me, you, know, you heard me teach and give you a sermon. Jesus says what ultimately matters is not whether you were physically close or, or, or you had theological exposure. What ultimately matters is if you had a relationship with me. And not, not if you just knew about me, but if you actually knew me, if, if you were in living, dynamic relationship with me. See, Jesus says that you're welcome to his table so long um, as you have the humility and the courage to come, that, that your position in Jesus' kingdom isn't based on your ethnicity. It's not based on your resume and your accomplishments. It's not based on your church attendance. It's based on... Uh, it's not even based on your goodness or badness, however you define those terms. It's based on whether you know Jesus and you're living in relationship with him. Jesus says that his kingdom is exclusive, but the good news, friends, is that's not the last thing that he says. He, he says that his kingdom is inclusive, that, that people from all over, north, south, east, west, are welcomed in and, and seated with him at his table, with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, that, that Gentiles, that people in the ethnic uh, and religious outsiders are brought into the table to sit with the religious and ethnic insiders in the kingdom of God with, with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. And, and what's even more surprising is, is it's, not that the, it's not that it's the first who are brought in, it's the last. It's not the greatest who are seated at, the, at this table, it's the least. It's not those who think that they're found, it, it's those who know that they're lost. So at this feast in the kingdom of God, Jesus doesn't sit with the first and the greatest and the found. He sits with the least, the last, and the lost. And it doesn't matter what your background is or what your resume says. Jesus says, if you just have the humility and the courage to come, the humility to know that in your own strength, in your own power, you don't deserve a seat at the table, but if you have the courage just to come and ask to be part of it, Jesus says, come on in. Food is ready. Supper's warm. And, and, and come and sit at the table. That if you, if you come with any other, if you come in, in any other way with presumption, with, with pride, with your achievements, with your merits, Jesus says that you're going to be on the outside looking in. You're going to watch, you're going to watch Abraham pass the potatoes to a, to a Philippian slave girl, and you're going to watch Jesus pass the wine to the Roman centurion who watched him die. You have to have the humility and the courage to come, Jesus says, because there's no other way that you're going to be, that you're going to be brought in. And you see that it's in this way that Christianity makes an exclusive truth claim. Uh, in much the same way that all claims to truth are exclusive, there, there's, there can only be one objective truth at the end of the day. See, every religion, every worldview makes exclusive truth claims, but do you see the, the inclusivity of this exclusive truth claim? That, it, that the Christianity is it's exclusive because it's only one way to God, but it's inclusive in the sense that anybody can get, out, can get in on it. Anybody can find a seat at God's table. Christianity is the most inclusive, exclusive truth that's out there. And we, know that this, and we know that this is the case. Why? Because at the heart of the Christian faith, at the very core of Christian belief, is that God, the, the, the possessor of, the origin of all truth, became man in Jesus. In Luke, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says to strive through that narrow door. In the Gospel of John, Jesus teaches his followers that, that he is the door. He is the point of entry that people 
uh, enter in through to find ultimate rest and security. And Jesus is able to give his people that rest and security because he lays down his life for his people. In, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says that the kingdom grows like a seed that's buried in the ground that becomes a tree from which the birds of the air can find home and safety. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says that he is that seed who by his death is buried into the ground so that he can become a refuge for all who look to him in faith. That Jesus was hung on the tree of crucifixion so that in his, in his body, in his life, that we, we can find a tree of refuge in our time of need. That Jesus, uh, though he was great, he became small. That though he had all power and all authority, he laid it down uh, so that we could be brought into the life of God, that, so that we could be brought into the kingdom and experience an eternal banquet from which we will never be asked to leave. See, Jesus died for his enemies so that we could become his family and sit with him at his table. And so, friends, at the very heart of Christian faith, we see God come for us, dying in our place um, so that we could become his family at his table. And so, friends, won't you come? The door is still open today but the time is short. Jesus, the master of the feast, beckons you in his love to come. So friends, will those who, be, who are saved be few? Will I be saved? Jesus says in this moment, yes, you can be. Come, come and eat. See, on the cross, Jesus says it is finished so that by his grace, you have the power to strive through that narrow door. So friends, don't linger any longer. Come and feast with Jesus today. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who sent your only son to us to be the door through which we enter into eternal life, to be the seed that, that died and perished so that it might grow into a tree in which we find security, safety, salvation, and refuge. Lord, uh, help us to become ever more aware of that need in our lives, Help us to strive uh, in your finished work to enter into that kingdom. And Lord, as we, as we grow in your kingdom, would your spirit work in us uh, those things that we need uh, to grow, uh, those things that we don't know we need, but your spirit knows uh, how, how to give and how to grow. So Lord, give us patience as we live this Christian life. Uh, but Lord, we, we do rejoice knowing that while your kingdom grows in us and in the world slowly, uh, it will endure in the end. So God, give us that eternal perspective, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.